Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am um, equally excited and um, maybe a little bit worried about today's topic on a personal note. I'm afraid of what I might divulge about my inner feelings. This is a safe space, Ashley. It's a safe space. Okay, okay, it's a safe space. That's right. It's a safe space. Hey, why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself um, and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and also what you do professionally. My name is Kelly Jones, and um, I live close to Ashley. I live in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, and I'm a mother of three boys. My middle son has Down syndrome. His name is Linus. Um, cutest name ever, I think. And, uh, and cutest boy. <laughs> I think so too. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I am a mental health therapist in the state of Kentucky. And my passion is, um, I love working with caregivers, um, of, of kids with disabilities. Um, I love working with women. Um, I also work with teens and kids as well. Um, on a, oh, you name it. We've, we've dealt with it, trauma to, you know, anxiety to just relationship building, um, group therapy, family therapy, individual therapy. And um, I think sometimes, you know, you, you look, you know, what do I want to do and um, try out different things. And um, I'm, I'm happy to say therapy is my, it is my sweet spot. It is what I get fulfillment from. And I learn so much from so many people. That's the best part of my job is that I get to sit and hold space with people and learn about their experience. And that makes me a better person too. I think sometimes people don't realize that when they come to therapy, they think they're going to come and be judged or um, have perceptions made and about them. Um, but it's, oh man, everybody affects their therapist too, in a good way. And it, and it makes us grow as better humans too. So that's a neat part of my job. Yeah, that, I, I imagine that to be true because people have to tell me things that they are not comfortable telling to many people. And I do learn so much in those experiences as I counsel people um, from a legal standpoint. So I imagine yeah. that to be true. Um, and I think that that's a really important piece to what we're talking about today. And that is the impact um, on parents' mental health when they are raising their children with disabilities. Because, um, you know, before we started today, we were talking about how raising um, children with disabilities can be lonely. You and I are both in that seat um, and it can be isolating, it can be extremely lonely. And so if you find a therapist with whom you can relate and, and to whom you can divulge um, some of your vulnerabilities or all of your vulnerabilities, uh, I imagine that um, does benefit both people in the relationship, right? Yes, it's it's because um, it is it's a relationship. It really is. And, I, and so I always encourage people if they try therapy and they don't really like it the first time or they don't feel like they 
got anything out of it, give it a couple tries, but it may just not be a good fit. I always tell people if I go and get a haircut and I walk out and I'm like, this does not look good. I'm not going to keep going back and getting an ugly haircut. I'm going to find somebody else that cuts the way I like, and it's just a different style, but it's, it fits me better. So always, um, I think sometimes people are afraid to break up with their therapist, but you shouldn't be, you should find and their hairdresser and their hairdresser as well. Yes. <laughs> Maybe more so about the hairdresser, but your hair looks good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, so I think where I'd like to start to, oh, 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 I wanted to put you on the spot though, because Linus always says funny things. So <laughs> can you tell us something that he has said that's funny recently? Cause he just cracks me up and I, I want to hear a good Linus story. I have one from yesterday, of course. Um, okay, so his resource room teacher came out and was talking to me after school. And she said that he asked her if he called, she, she had um, a few kids and she had a baby, I think last year, all the years run together to me now, two years yeah. ago, two right, right. and um, Linus named this baby Big Chungus. <laughs> I don't know why. So he asked her yesterday if she had another Big Chungus in her belly. And she said, I don't. And that's not really polite to ask, you know, like you don't, you don't want to ask women that because it could hurt their feelings. And she said his response was like, I didn't call you fat. Like he was just, he was letting her know. He kept making comments like, this is ridiculous. Like you're so sensitive. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. He has lots of, lots of judgment <laughs> for us. If, if we try to let him know what may be more. <laughs> Correct more appropriate, more polite, yeah. more kind. Yeah. He's like, I got this under control, people. Yeah, don't, don't. So a very oh conversation with Linus yesterday <laughs> about why that's inappropriate to say to women. Oh, he is <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Okay, good. I'm glad we need to start off every day with a funny story about <laughs> Linus. It would make everybody happier. Make sure okay. pretty good. So um, what we were talking about before we pressed record is, you know, I like to provide my um, audience with kind of a toolkit, like, okay, that's great, but you're preaching to the audience. What do, what can I do with this? And so it's kind of a precursor. I'm going to say, yes, of course, we're going to give you tools and strategies to, um, to, to talk about when we talk about the impacts of um, raising a child with a disability on the mental health of the caregiver. But um, what you said in response to my request for kind of a toolkit, I think is really important. So why don't we start off with your response to that request? Yeah. So um, I think one of the most important things any of us can experience as humans is affirming that we're not alone, affirming that we belong. That is one of the basic needs for us um, to live full and healthy lives. And many times, you know, when we have children with disabilities, we may be the only one in our circle. If we're in a small town, there may not be a support group. There may, you know, your child may be the only child in school with a disability. Um, and so what we, what I like to do is affirm people's experience. Um, when I run groups, um, it's amazing the transformative power that people can say, me too. Um, that was my experience too. And um, so I think that that's important maybe in this space that might reach a broader audience uh, to say, okay, this is, 
this was my experience too. And um, this is almost like a track I can hand to people who want to learn more about my experience, whether it's a friend or a family member, because um, as we know, parents um, and caregivers, sometimes our own family doesn't understand. Grandma and grandpa don't understand our own experience. Our best friends don't understand. They want to help, but they really have no idea. So I was hoping that this could kind of be a space where we could affirm and then a space also where we could say, here's, I can't tell you how I feel because that's awkward, but let me give you this and you can listen for yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that is going to be such a valuable tool for listeners, even if it's just kind of that first level of you are not alone, that can be so, so helpful. Um, as we kind of went through the notes in preparation for this, I really read it and thought, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one that feels that way. And I felt um, reassured that way. But I love the idea of saying to somebody, you know, it might really benefit, like I listened to this podcast and it might really benefit you to kind of understand the things that I experience or the um, things that I feel if you would just listen, have a quick listen to this episode. So um, we'll give you, we'll give you some tools audience, but um, the purpose of today's episode is a little different. So thank you for that, Kelly. So I think, you know, maybe we can just kind of take this through the life course if we can, um, if we can attempt to do that. Of course, the life course is not always linear. Um, but let's talk about kind of the first experience that we have as parents of children with with disabilities, and that is the diagnosis. So prenatal, at birth, whatever that is, I mean, that has a huge impact, right? Yes, yes. And it's everybody has their own unique experience. For me, it was at birth and um, and then a non-confirmation when I was asking for confirmation at birth. Like I looked at him and I said, does he have Down syndrome? Does my baby, you know, does Linus have Down syndrome? And because all of the testing hadn't come back, no one, you know, legally could say yes or no to me at that point. Oh. And so I had to sit in this unknown, um, a lot of fear and a lot of unknown. And I know that, um, you know, some people receive diagnoses um, prenatally. And so then they have to sit in the unknown because they don't have that baby to look at and snuggle and give a hug until the baby arrives. And so everybody has their own story. And, and I think there's difficulties um, in all of those stories, joy and difficulty. Yeah, the, um, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but um, Glennon Melton has has, she's a wonderful author that I love if, if um, my audience isn't familiar with her. And she has merged the two words brutal and beautiful, and she calls it brutal. <laughs> and I think that is what the, that time period is like. I mean, you, yeah. you are, you find a community. If, if you're, if the diagnosis that you get has a community, I think we are so blessed in the Down syndrome community that we have ginormous community and we have national and local um, organizations and state organizations and that kind of thing. Um, but that um, the, the ability to dive into information, sometimes that can be affirming and it can be very fulfilling, but then it also can be so anxiety provoking. And I agree with you, particularly if you have not um, experienced any kind of um, connection with the, with the person, if it's a prenatal diagnosis and you don't have that baby. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the postnatal time period 
should be way more significant for the mother, right? We should be looking at the mother's physical health, the mother's mental health. Um, and, and I would suspect any caregivers as well, that would be true of the mother's partner as well. Um, but when we have children with disabilities, we don't really get to do that, do we? No, uh, and I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's so many times we have these big, big amounts of information coming in towards um, to us, you know, with um, Down syndrome, it's heart, it's, um, you know, Linus had seizures when he was a baby. Um, it's, you know, there's things that might have to be built, major surgeries, um, all these things to be considered. And um, when you're dealing with those and having to prioritize those, you don't really get to prioritize yourself. <laughs> And, or are you paying attention to signs and symptoms for yourself either? You are focusing on, you prioritize the highest need. And so that's what you're focused on. Yeah. So I have a story about that. When, after Jack was born, I got vertigo, which was obviously a stress reaction. I continue, that was the first time I got it. And I continue to get it particularly with signs of stress. Um, and my husband, Brandon got, um, shingles and my uncle is a dermatologist and so my uncle told him if he if they were not he was not contagious but if he would cover them with that medical tape um that he would probably feel better because they were a little like oozy kind of and so my husband was covered in brown medical tape and I was you know like I am not a very dainty pregnant person so I had I was wearing these like muumuu dresses it's July it's hot as blazes and um I had to walk with my, like my hand on my forehead hunched over and looking at the floor so that I didn't either throw up or fall over. Um, and then our baby was, um, it, Jack, his muscle tone and he was so little, he couldn't ride in the car seat by himself. I kind of had to stabilize him. So I rode in the back seat with vertigo. And um, so we got to Children's Hospital. We know the valet at Children's Hospital. And so we were there for, you know, a genetic appointment or the cardiac appointment or something in that first week. And um, Brandon said, and I said, hey, why don't you stop in the loop before we get to valet so that I can get to the front seat because um, I can't climb out because everything in my body hurts, but I can climb over the front seat and get out that door. And he said, okay, well, I felt like the car was still moving. And so I fell with my with my head at the floorboard and my legs like up in the air in a short mumu dress. And I'm saying, stop the car. And he's like, the car is stopped. And I remember, and of course the boy that we knew, you know, who was in our high school class is like right there ready to park the car. And I'm, I remember thinking, we should be thinking about ourselves too. And we are not. And like, oh, no. now the whole world just saw my underwear. <laughs> it was dreadful. Yeah, it was dreadful. So yeah, and that's a funny story. But it is, you know, there are certainly times that aren't as funny. And Kelly, you know, I'm thinking about parents that get their diagnosis that isn't um, something where there are prenatal markers or where there are markers at birth, um, particularly things that you have to advocate for to, to really figure out, you know, you just keep going and you keep searching because you need the answers. But then when those parents get the diagnosis, there still is a grief process with the diagnosis, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I, I like to call um, or describe receiving a diagnosis as a mourning the loss of my expectations. So we all, when we get pregnant or, you know, or adopt or have a surrogate, however we have children, um, you know, we, 
we envision things, right? We all do that. We envision things when we're kids about our adult life. We, we always envision and plan. So, you know, you make, you, you have these dreams and hopes for your children too. And, um, I don't, I don't know that any of us think, well, let me, let me throw in some extra crinkles there, you know, or, and lots of times, cause we don't have exposure. We don't know to anticipate those things. Right. Um, and so it's not, it's not good or bad, but it, it is still a grief. This is not exactly how I envision this going. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Some, I, I feel like, um, and I know I certainly felt this way when Linus was born was you can't say you feel bad saying I'm sad, mm-hmm. but I was sad. And mostly because I didn't know what to expect. I had no information. Um, you know, my exposure to down syndrome in particular was, you know, a few, a few kids in my class growing up, but that was when, um, in inclusive environments and least restrictive environments were not a thing. So I had limited access to those, um, kids who were all wonderful humans, but you know, we were separated from them a lot. So I just didn't know it was, it was sitting in that unknown again. And, And I was really sad, but you know, you feel like you have to um, as a parent and a caregiver, sometimes I think you feel like, okay, well, I've got to present a positive face. <laughs> like this is okay. And we're going to keep going. And whether that's to tell yourself that, or because you feel like you need to manage the emotions of other people around you. Um, and I think there is that too, when your baby comes, um, and your parents or, you know, your in-laws or your siblings or cousins, when they come and learn, okay, you know, your baby has a disability, it's almost like you already jump into that role. I need to manage your expectations and your, um, your emotions for you about this. And I know how I frame this will be how you move forward with it. So we already jump into that role lots of times without even realizing it. You know, that's so important. Um, I remember an experience I, um, bought, I don't know, 10 or 12 copies of Kelly Hampton's book, um, Bloom. And if you bought so many, when it came out, she would zoom in and do a book club meeting with you. So I bought them and I invited people to a book club and my neighbor got super emotional. And she said, I never thought about how you were feeling. And I feel like I was such a terrible friend. I feel like, um, I should have, provided you more counsel. I should have been more present for you. I should have just stopped and said, how are you feeling? You know, how I'm sorry that you had to go to that cardiology appointment and look at your baby's heartbeat on a TV screen. And I immediately felt grateful that she even stopped to acknowledge it after she had read the book, you know, that she stopped to think about the caregiver. Um, But when you are doing it, you're diving into the research and the appointments and all of those things. And you don't have time to stop and think, oh, I'm also caring for all these people about whom I care. And I want to almost influence the way that they care about our family now, right? right. Like it's right. easy to busy yourself, but that probably isn't super healthy. No, I mean, no. And I think it's something that lots of times we continue. Um, I was having a conversation um, with some pa- some other parents of, um, that are caregivers for their children with disabilities after World Down Syndrome Day. And, you know, World Down Syndrome Day, your post, ooh, it's got to be on. It's got to be lit. It's got to be, you know, positive. This is how amazing my kid is. This is why he's worth inclusion. You know, and you're going to get a lot of likes on that. But then it's a lonely place too, because maybe 
maybe those likes aren't going to translate to, I invite your kid over to my house after school. Actually, you probably know they're not. Right. You know that, um, that, that you have to present this positive all the time. And then that drowns out some of the difficulties where you might need help and people might offer to help. So it's almost um, like we cut ourselves off. We need to present this positive image and in doing so, then we say, it's not okay to ask for help. It's not okay to seem vulnerable or like, I don't have it all together, um, that I'm not the super mom always celebrating it. Um, you know, it's, it's scary to say to people, you know what, like, um, yesterday my kid sat and just messed himself, didn't say a word to me until I walked in and I discovered it and we're 10, like that's not going to give him a play date after school, but it is, you know, we've got sensory issues. We've got lots of things that happens from time to time and it's frustrating. And I want to scream sometimes when it happens, but, um, but also, you know, it's, I think finding, finding that balance of, of, um, let's celebrate. Um, and let's also, let's be real with people because as long as we're not real, then we're never going to get the responses that we need that are helpful to us. And, and, and then I always feel bad because I feel like when somebody acts like Jack is an angel from earth or says one of those comments, you know, like, oh, like yeah. you, what you can handle and, and all those things, I get so offended. And I'm like, but am I putting out into the universe how incredibly hard this is, how incredibly isolating this is, how significantly I worry about him and how like every doctor I go to talks about stress, 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 stress. You can't lose weight because of stress. You're, this is this because of stress. Maybe it's, maybe it's stress. Like we've done every test. It has to come back to stress. Oh, it's always your B vitamins. And I'm like, stress. (laughs) (laughs) Do you watch, um, do your kids? Well, I watch and my kids watch. Let's be vulnerable. Um, Fuller house. Uh, of course we do. <laughs> oh my gosh. When uncle Jimmy, like he gets anxiety. And so he just screams anxiety. I'm like, I wish that I could get the same release that he appears to get when he says anxiety. Um, but you don't get to release that you, you pick up and you carry on to the next appointment. Cause you've got a therapy appointment. And then for your other child, you have a, you know, a swim or a soccer practice. And then You've told the resource room teacher that you'll put together a binder for everybody counts program or, and so you just keep going in that machine and it's exhausting because you're always on the wheel and people expect you to do it. And then I get so offended when people expect me to do it or expect me to be happy or expect Jack to be an angel on earth. And he's like tearing apart the pediatrician's office. And, and like my instinct is to be like, see, I told you so, but I never told you so. I only did put on social media how great he is and how deserving he is of inclusion or whatever, which is all true. Also, it's beautiful. Yes. Life is so complicated. Yes. yes. I love yeah. that term, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and what comes, what I'm sure you've read that before. Um, what comes to mind for me is the beauty in that perspective. Prior to having Jack, even with my chronic pain that my listeners know about, I, I, I saw the light, but Jack is such a good, um, I call it a bullshit radar. And I just, you can, there's so much beauty in that balance that, you know, maybe that is a tip for parents is really kind of focusing on how lucky we are that we get to see things that, um, simply that in that like deliberately, right. 
Yeah, we talk about this um, lots of times in groups about um, it's a different kind of knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you can call it Pandora's box, you can call it whatever you want, um, but it's a different kind of knowing that you didn't know before. Um, and it's because of this, you know, diagnosis that you get to see things a little differently and get a peek where other people do not. Yeah. Yeah, it is really beautiful. Okay, so, you know, we, we have babies and we really dive in and we kind of busy ourselves and, and, and we are these like optimistic, cheerful people. Um, and then they start to become humans and we start to think about milestones that they're making or milestones that they're missing and what their siblings did and that kind of thing. Um, Talk about kind of the toddler years and the things that parents experience during those like coming of, well, coming of, of humanity. <laughs> I don't want to say coming of age, but like when they start to become people, then what do we experience? So pardon, my dogs are howling in the background. <laughs> oh, we are, so every once in a while I like hear something that I think might be a dog, but we are like very laid back here at Ashley Barlow Company. We want people to feel like they're in our living room having a cup of tea, so no worries. We have, Linus got a new puppy and she likes to make my other dog bark. So this is what they're doing right now. <laughs> we like yeah. dogs that are friends. <laughs> so, um, so yes, so toddler years. I mean, that's when the comparisons start. We, you know, when did your baby walk? When are they eating? When are they doing this? And if you go to any kind of social activity, you know, if you've been to a mom group or at the park, that's what all, you know, parents of toddlers talk about, you know, yeah. and, it, and lots of it is a, it's a check-in to be like, am I doing this right? We don't say that. <laughs> it comes across as bragging, but it's all of us being insecure saying, is it, am I on track? Is something wrong? I need you all to check in with me. But right. that can be really hard when you are a parent of a child with a disability and your kid's just not on the same track. Your kid's going to reach those milestones in his or her own time. And I, I think what I hear from caregivers a lot is, where do I immerse myself? Do I immerse myself in a totally, so, so you know, we talk about Down syndrome because both of our boys have it. So I'll use that as an example. So for me, is it I only join groups? that are from the Down syndrome community. And so, mm -hmm. um, which is important, you know, to have connection with that community. Do I join groups that are like my neighborhood group where I'm going to feel inadequate as a parent? I'm going to feel isolated because other people, they're talking about their kids walking. That's two years away for my son. Right. I'm being honest. They don't know what it's like to go to therapy five times a week. Um, and you so, can overwhelm them too. Like, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I get like 17 layers into the onion and I'm like, well, tell me about your relationship with your stepmother. And they like want to talk about their kid walking. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. We're like the weather. Yes. Back to the weather. So <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes I feel like we know too much. We're too like tuned into the world. And so those people, we need them. We need those inclusive environments. Right. Right. But I overwhelm them. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to know where do I belong. I'm in, and and, you know, the Down syndrome community may not be, you may have to travel to find people, you know, that are like you, depending on where you live. So, and, and I know for us, we wanted Linus to be, you know, have friends within his neighborhood where he was going to go to school, but also have friends, you know, that looked like him that mm -hmm. were facing some of the um, same uh, obstacles and having to overcome those, right. all those being able to see himself and other people is so, so, so important for him. And so I, I think for 
caregivers, lots of times it's hard to balance that and know what's right to do when you're already probably on limited time, limited sleep, limited resources, limited everything. Um, that, that can be really difficult. And I think that, um, that's something that, you know, from you always hear, you know, sometimes like, especially in the down syndrome community that, um, you know, appointments get less lots of times as children age and, um, there's, there's less of us, but that's not true for all disabilities at all. And, you know, thinking about, you know, starting preschool, that's your introduction to IEP meetings, all of these things. You're not only spending all this physical time there, you're having to start your own, um, education on the side and becoming an expert in all these areas. You know, I I think lots of times I know I sit and I think about people who have just neurotypical children or children without disabilities. I'm like, what is their life like? Do they just send their kids to school? Like they just don't worry. I mean, I I experienced that with my other two sons where I don't have any clue what they're doing. I just trust that it's happening. Right. But, but, oh, you don't have to worry about going to the bathroom and then running away, like out the door. And, and so sometimes I sit and I'm like, what are these people's lives like? I can't amazing to use the bathroom and not be fearful of something bad happening. (laughs) And it's crazy. It is crazy to live that life all day long, every single day. And even to compare it to other kids with similar developmental profiles or medical profiles to think, well, oh, well, they probably don't have to um, flush the, the um, I'm not good at medical talk. I am when I've got notes about a client in front of me, but they probably don't have to flush the tube as often as I have to, or they probably don't have to suction as often as I do, or, well, that's a kid. Now that's a kid with Down syndrome that is super regulated and verbal, but not motor skills. So they don't really have a whole lot in common with Jack And, and to like, even do that comparison game. So like, what's their life? Like, what's our life? Like, like, I, I mean, it is that in and of itself to me is a full-time, it's like a full-time job. I give that as much thought as anything else. I'm so curious about right. what other people do. And I don't know what good that serves me, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's um, good to play like the comparison, you know, the comparison game. Um, but I think that it's also good to give value and worth to what other people are experiencing and step out of yourself and say, you know, I, I recognize that I'm never going to have the same experience as you. And I mean, even doing that, even doing that with our children, I'm never going to know what it's like to live with a disability, um, you know, like Linus's, Mm -hmm. a developmental one, because that's not been my experience. So I still know I'm falling short in understanding his experience completely and that I'm never, even as his mother, who wants to know and understand everything so that I can help him, I'm never going to have that experience. Um, so, but just valuing other people's experiences. And, and I think sometimes we get comfortable and, and if we can look away and we don't have to think about what other people are experiencing, because that might be ugh, it's tough for us to think right. about that, you know, or um, then it's easy for us to look away and then not and not give uh, place importance on what our fellow humans, our neighbors are going through. 
Yeah, that is so important. And you're right. I mean, you experience it with your child and then you also experience it toward you and toward Mm -hmm. your child as well. And it is kind of this cycle or um, interesting balance between empathy and judgment and knowing and turning your head, turning your cheek or whatever that phrase is. So yeah, Yeah. the blind eye, turning the blind eye, which we do as well. So yeah, that is an interesting idea. Um, What about childcare? There's a stressor for you that can really affect your mental health. Yes. And I, and you know, I think childcare, when any of my friends that if they had not had children, you know, prior to me, if any of them talked about wanting to have children, I would be like, biggest stress you're going to ever experience is childcare. I mean, I think that's across the board for any kid, but when your child has a disability, um, it's, it's a whole next level of things. And, and that can really impact people's ability to work. Um, it can, it, it can impact how much you can afford to pay for babysitting or childcare. Um, it'll impact your choice of childcare because not every childcare center has to take your child. They can deny. And, um, and so, and I think a lot of that comes from fear. Lots of the problems with us accessing childcare comes from fear and people's lack of experience, but I find myself qualifying um, all the time. And I know other caregivers too do as well. So we'll use words like high functioning, or we'll use these words to make other people comfortable providing care for our children or accepting them. And, um, and that's, you know, that shouldn't matter, but it does. And, you know, childcare can be, you know, it could be a more physical job. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able, if I'm a teenager, if there's a teenager that comes to my house, that teenager cannot sit on his or her phone no way. <laughs> and scroll. They've got to be, um, I heard a parent one time describe it as, um, as their life as being not babysitters, but caregivers lives being like a, a lifeguard. Like you're yeah. always on watch. Seriously, so keeping kind of, them alive. Yes. Yeah. And so that's what, I mean, it, when you ask, when you're making, you know, building a relationship with a caregiver, uh, you know, a babysitter or somebody that's going to provide childcare for your child, you, you have to prepare that person. You don't want to overwhelm them, but you have to prepare them. I need you to be a lifeguard. I need you to, this is not just turn on the television. This is a very different kind of care. And so what do people do? They're like, well, that sounds hard, or I'm afraid of that. And I'll say, I've even experienced that in my own family. Um, There is a, there is a, a, a big no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Or I will invite some, your neurotypical children to spend the night at my house, but not your other child. Cause yes. that's, I don't think I can handle that. And that is, that kind of, I guess, goes into another topic too, of family relations as well. Um, but yes, I, I think that childcare, lots of times you, you give up. I mean, you give up trying to find it and then you make right life decisions to accommodate that if, you know, if you're able to, or your spouses work different, you know, you work different shifts or whatever. You live in poverty. I mean, so many people choose literally to live in poverty because they um, can't, they can't bear the burden of securing the childcare. And then, you know, it also goes in the other direction. So there's two other extremes. One extreme is you get so attached to somebody, they become a part of your family 
And I always describe that one to my clients as a middle school kind of a love that really naive, you are my forever kind of love. And then something happens and it could be something very basic. It could be something very extreme. And it's like, you've lost a family member or that you've had that first horrendous breakup. And it is, that is very troubling um, and can affect you. And I think the other end of the spectrum is when, and you kind of talked to this to a certain extent, but sometimes you almost oversell the behavioral supports that are needed or the medical supports is needed or whatever. And you hire somebody that looks great, but then they treat your child like a thesis or a project or a patient. And you're like, well, no, you have to be a part of the family. <laughs> like right. we don't, we can't therapize 24 hours a day or even the eight that you're here. Um, you know, like there's going to be a day that you allow eight Oreos and that's going to be okay. Like the Oreos are not always um, credit for some kind of good behavior or something. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, childcare, I agree with you entirely is the hardest. And I think it does land in family things because so many of us then say, I just want my mommy to help me. I want my mom or my aunt or somebody to help me. Like I can't, oh, I was going to say one more thing about childcare. And this kind of goes to the, to the, um, family thing. It's the control. I have so many clients right now that aren't going back to school and it's really the control. Can I trust them to, to, to fear COVID the way that I feared COVID? Mm-hmm. And every single one of those clients has said, yeah, I totally acknowledge this control. I am, I cannot let go of control. And the trauma that's associated with pandemic life is, a, is an animal in right. and of itself. Right. But we, that control piece still comes into it, which then makes us say, oh, my family has similar values to me. Maybe my family can do it, which is super complicated, right? Yes. And, and I think that that's something that you, you assume lots of times, you know, or something that you don't have to think about, um, as a parent, when you have a child without a disability, that my whole family's going to love them. They're going to offer to, you know, do these things, help babysit, whatever. And then when you do have a child with a disability, you realize that is not the case at, at all. Um, people will say no. Um, and, and it will be family members and it will cut you deeply or even you realize after you watch and inter- some interactions and this comes down to some control too is that I can't trust this person that I love to watch my child I don't have trust that they're doing a good job um, and I don't have trust that they want to do a good job here um, or I don't trust that they want to be here mm-hmm. and that is heartbreaking too um, having to, you know, we do have to kind of teach our family members how to interact, um, with our children in lots of ways. And still that that's not enough. Um, you know, it's, I remember one time my mom was watching line it well, she was watching all of our boys. We went out to dinner or something late. We came home and it was late and Linus was still awake. There was a trash can on the floor with stuff scattered everywhere in their bedroom. And my mom was sobbing. And, um, and I was just like, what, what happened here? And so of course my oldest, who is used to managing behaviors, you know, he's like, this is very matter of fact, this is what happened here. And, um, but my mom is a wreck because Linus was trying out some behavior. He saw the weakness. He read the weakness in grandma. And so 
Linus is a great reader of behavior. So if he sees a weakness, a crack, he is going to blow that door open. And he didn't want to go to bed. So he was going to engage in all kinds of antics. And I think he said some unkind words to her. And instead of her having practice at recognizing this is a yeah. behavior, you know, this is, I, I need to be firm. Um, I need to follow these things. She took it personal as a grandma and, and then it was over. <laughs> and so we, I don't know that she's babysat since. I mean, like this was that big of a blow up in our household. It was devastating. And so, and I don't, you know, I don't blame her. I felt horrible that she felt that way. Right. Um, but it, you know, even as parents, we are constantly changing and doing things and at our wits end to manage behaviors. Once we finally get one behavior under control, <laughs> a new behavior pops up and, and then you've got to replan, refigure. Um, I think I hear lots of parents call it being a detective. I yeah. mean, you're just being a detective all the time. It's not. And if your child is nonverbal, you're definitely being a detective all the time, trying to figure out how to meet those needs. So um, I don't blame, I don't blame my family members for being like this detective work is hard. <laughs> no, this is not what I signed up for. But still, it's, it's again, it's a mourning the loss of those expectations. My mom's going to watch my kids or, you know, grandparents are going to watch them. And they're going to have this beautiful experience that I did when I stayed with my grandparents. It's, right. it's just not, it can't always be true. And, and then it can be hard navigating those relationships afterwards, talking about incidents like these. And we just sit with our hurt feelings and we don't talk about them. And then we just move on like nothing happened. Yeah. But those rifts are still there. Exactly. And we're spending so much time also thinking, why is nobody caring about me? Why does nobody realize that I, that is how I come home to every single babysitter. And that is how I come home at five o'clock every single day. And like when I was little, you read the paper at five o'clock, but I haven't read a paper since 2004. <laughs> and you know, those kinds of things, like why is nobody thinking about me? But then I feel bad saying, why is nobody thinking about me? And then my husband and I get stuck in this, like, why is nobody thinking about us kind of thing, um, yeah. which then also disaffects your relationships because you're right. You sit with those kind of hurt feelings and that's with friends, that's with family, that's with um, other caregivers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is, that can really kind of send you into a spiral of rumination. Yes. Yes. And, and I think the, that compare game again. Why can't I go out to a nice dinner? Why can't I go on a date with my spouse and and trust that everything will be okay and it won't be a disaster? It, and then it gets too hard and you stop trying. Right. And um and you know so we start ignoring relationships sometimes or social situations because the last time we went, you know, this thing happened, something got dumped or the you know the building wasn't accessible and then I felt like we inconvenienced everybody. And, um, or my child was loud and it was supposed to be quiet. And so we were the ones everybody was looking at. So we start, sometimes we start just limiting and limiting and we isolate ourselves um, because nobody understands and, yeah. and, and it's hard. Yeah, it is so true. And another piece that I think people are like almost afraid of us for is because all of those things are like kind of always at the surface, um, if something else happens and it can be the most minor of things, that might be what just sends me cart. over. Yeah. 
So we were um, on vacation not too long ago and our little like complex of houses where my mom and dad have a vacation home is it has two houses under construction. So their car was blocked in by a construction thing. And Jack was having a particularly hard morning and our dog, like halfway through the vacation, the lady said she couldn't take care of our dog. So I had worked through that. And of course I'm working still on vacation and I was also hot and I hadn't had coffee. We were, Jack and I were going to get coffee and the car was blocked in. And like, I negotiate for a living. <laughs> My people skills are pretty good. And I went back in and I sat down on the tile floor like a toddler and I was like, the car is blocked in and I just don't think I'm gonna get coffee today. <laughs> and Brandon was like, well, go ask the guys to move the car. Like we've done all week. And I was like, I can't, I cannot. <laughs> go do it. Something as silly as that, sometimes just the most minor ancillary things will completely shut us down. And I see it here at the office all the time. My dad, you know, I work with my dad and, and he'll come in and I can tell that he's afraid to tell me something bad, but it's because like, sometimes I just don't have the, the probably the adrenal yeah. hormones left to like, address that conflict and so he's like okay I'll tell you tomorrow bye <laughs> <laughs> bad news can wait till then <laughs> let's start over with some more serotonin <laughs> but it's true like I mean and I think if you don't think about somebody's entire life like the burden on their entire lives we are so often misunderstood for isolating ourselves for flying up the handle at something weird for for whatever and then you know what else happens is Sometimes our child, like we do a really good job at covering for our child. I cover for Jack on his way into school so many times. I make it funny or I make it whatever. So we cover for our children, but then we need an allowance from somebody. Jack locked me out of my car and car line. So my car was running. <laughs> there's a line of people that can kind of get away around me, blah, blah, blah. But there's all this other history. Like we don't have an accessible place to drop them off. And I've just kind of always right. kind of created it. Like, yeah, it's okay. Like pick your battles. Um, and, you know, he was having a hard behavior morning, obviously. Then he intentionally locked me out of my car. Music was blaring. It was like ankle break breaker ice going on. And I had to leave my car, which people could get around. Um, and walk home a block and a half on ankle breaker ice in order to get my key to come back and do my thing. And like, of course, I don't know where my key is because Jack likes stuff. So there's all these layers that kind of all come back to Jack, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what I look like is a lady that can't get her car to go. And somebody honked the horn. And I said to my husband afterwards, I was like, you know, those videos of mothers that crack what I like my instinct was to get naked and like start screaming and like flailing my appendages. Make yourself big, big. I don't know why, but I wanted to be naked when I did it. Like I was just going to fly <laughs> off the handle, but like all of those things were happening. That was all invisible to the rest of the world. Cause I had covered for him, you know, you got a good face. You keep it together. You got some nice you know, you present well, yeah, you do all this covering all the time. And those are coping skills Yes, um, that you have developed and all of us develop those in certain ways, but then we can only use those <laughs> so long until we have to address what's underneath because the coping skills, you know, it, it gets heavy. Right. Maybe that's why I wanted to be naked. I wanted to strip off all the print. There you go. Start fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like Sigmund well, Freud or something. 
You know, as you're talking about that, um, I'm reminded of something I had talked about with some parents um, at one point about do we experience because be, because of our roles of, of uh, as parents of kids with disabilities, do we experience micro traumas? You know, sometimes um, kids they have behaviors where they hit their parents or caregivers or curse at them or um, even, you know, physical trauma. We, I know you and I have talked about this before about the physical load of, you know, if you have devices or um, your child has to travel and in um, with, with certain equipment or even Linus is heavy and he is yes. bottom heavy. And if he drops to the ground or he doesn't want to go somewhere, I have to pick him up. And he yeah. only has about, I'm only about 50 pounds more than him now. I, I'm getting to where I cannot physically do it anymore. That's too. Um, yeah. And so, and that's a scary place to be if I don't think I can be the one to drag him out or bear hug or pretzel. Pretzel holds out for me. I can't do it anymore. He's he's outpowered me now. Yeah. But, you know, so physical or even those, um, those, and and I like to think of, you know, sometimes when people think of the word trauma, which are these experiences that are lasting, that change our brain um, and the way we view the world, we think about really big things, abuse, witnessing some type of horrific trauma, but really there can be all these little tiny traumas and um, in the mental health world, we're learning more about that and how that impacts people. And so I think people, that's another thing, people parents who have kids with disabilities, you don't want to say that out loud. My life is full of micro traumas, but it, it's true. Um, you know, whether they be physical, whether they be, we got rejected from our 10th school and I'm going to have to quit my job because I don't have a place for my kid to go to school next year, or I'm getting divorced because we can't figure out how to do this. Or my mom and I aren't speaking to each other, or, you know, because of a disagreement we had over care or, you know, any of these things we've talked about diagnoses. I mean, Linus had, um, seizures when he was nine months old, we were in the hospital for a while. We didn't know if they would go away or the treatment would work. We had a leukemia scare right after that. Like it was not a fun time and, and getting into that, you know, um, mode of my child's having surgery or fighting with insurance and, you know, like knowing you're going to have to sometimes live in poverty just to get medical bills paid. All of those things are little teeny tiny traumas mm -hmm. and they build up. And, and because of our sunny outlook and how we want to present and make sure our kids are included or make this look great so that, so that we put a positive spin on disability, um, we, we minimize those things. And, and we do that to protect other people's comfort, I think. Yeah. Um, or to not wear people out. And it's kind of silly that we do really. I mean, we're not being our true selves or letting people, you know, know our real experience and being honest. So we're doing a disservice to our kids. We're doing a disservice to ourselves. We're doing a disservice to our family and friends that want to help mm -hmm. because we're not letting them, we're not pulling back the full curtain and letting them see that. Right. And, but you know, what I always think is, but my life is so busy. And like, I only have limited time with people and how much 
time do I spend on them kind of knowing us and knowing our experience and knowing our family? And how much time do I spend doing what they need from me? Like people are used to my silliness. Like when's she going to do the cartwheel? Um, (laughs) I did do one at the trainer today. She told me to dismount from the Pilates reformer. And I was like, well, of course that's a cartwheel. You said dismount. Um, so, you know, when am I going to give people what they're expecting from the relationship without kind of burdening them with this, like the honesty is important. So the balance, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. We, we talk about all of the things that we do and how that all impacts our mental health. And yet there's still this component to us. That's like, am I doing enough? Oh, am I, yes. am I searching enough? Am I reading enough? Do I know enough about the entire life experience? Like we have to look at the entire life experience through a different lens. Yeah. Future employment, future um, living arrangements, their social skills and their social engagement, social health for the rest of their lives. Transportation, how are we going to navigate that? What's a job look like? What's post-secondary look like? We have to look at all aspects of the human life through this other lens. And for a lot of parents, it's also, there's also this like fear that their child's going to die, right? Like diabetes. Oh my gosh, that is so scary. And yet we still come back and say, am I doing enough? Right. Right. It's the shoulds, oughts, the musts. Um, And once those get in your head, that's not a good, a good place to be. (laughs) No, no, it is. We can must ourselves to anywhere. Um, and, and it's usually not a place of good mental health. Yeah. So Kelly, where is where is we're talking about this? Where do people start? You know, where can families start in order to um, obviously acknowledging, I would think would be the first kind of step, but what other things can people do to start kind of leaning into to, um, a toolkit or some ways to support themselves as caregivers? Yeah. Um, so of course, because I love therapy and I get to see the fruits of it all the time, of course, I'm going to say, find yourself a good therapist, um, individually, or even with your partner, or maybe it's with, you know, if you have a close relationship, say, you know, with your, um, immediate family, maybe it's with them. Um, I really like groups um, with other caregivers, other parents, and they don't have to have, you know, the same disability or anything. The experience is shared. Um, It may be nuances, maybe different, but it's shared. And I can't, I can't reinforce enough the power of somebody talking about what they experienced, whether it, Christmas was terrible. We, we aren't even going to, we're not traveling anymore because it's too hard with our child. And nobody gets it, what we need. And it's just misery. So we're just not going to do it anymore. Having somebody say that to you and you've been thinking that, but you're like, oh, I'm terrible if I think that. Just being able to say, me too. Oh my gosh, thanks for verbalizing that. I feel less lonely because somebody else is verbalizing my experience. Because when I am at home, I feel like I'm the only person in the world. And you know, we're humans. We seek connection. We seek shared experience. What do you do when you meet somebody? You're like, oh, you're, you know, your son plays basketball. My son does too. Like we look for shared experience. That's how we connect. And um, so I, I feel like lots of times we put ourselves last and even, even if the group is late, um, you know, if it's eight o'clock at night and it's, you know, once a month, prioritize that. 
for yourself. And you may be like, I don't want to get on, but I guarantee when it ends, you will say, I'm so glad I did that. And I think sometimes we brush that off um, and we don't do it enough. So that's always my, my first go-to because I think connecting with somebody else that can hear your experience and, and you know has a shared experience is so important. So you can look for groups. Um, if you're in a big area, you know, like um, Cincinnati, like we are, you know, you can look at um, advocacy groups like the Down Syndrome Association, Autism Society. You can reach out to your pediatrician. Lots of times they may know. Um, parenting groups um, in the area that provide will provide classes or um, based on category or topic, you know, there's all different kinds of groups for parents, parents who have addiction problems um, and, and, and work to maintain sobriety and be, and, you know, function in the role of, of parent. Um, we have groups for that. Um, and those, you know, sharing shared experiences there is important. So there's all different kinds of groups that you can search for in, in the parenting world. Probably um, virtual and, too, right? Like if you are. Oh, most of them are virtual, I would say right. still. Just, just because I think um, we have seen that more people will attend. It's because if I go to a group, I've got to, I got to find the, the ever, um, you know, imaginary babysitter. <laughs> I got to drive there. I got to come back. So it is, it is easier sometimes. And, you know, put a movie on and don't feel guilty about it mm -hmm. because it's, it's going to help you be a better parent when we have those times. Respite care, um, you know, that's a big, well, that's a big range <laughs> that, that uh, we could talk about, you know, sometimes there are um, helps, you know, from the government to, to help you have respite care, but that may seem like one more thing. I can't go through figuring that stuff out. So even if it's just small respite, lots of times churches will do um, nights out for parents and maybe just contact that church early and coordinate with them. Okay. You know, I want to make sure that there's going to be a one-on-one -on -one person for, for my child. Um, I know when I was, when my kids were little, my respite was, um, and if I didn't do it, I noticed a drastic drop in my ability to manage day-to-day -day, uh, blow-ups, I will call them, that yeah. would happen, like getting locked out of your car, things like that. My response to things would get worse because I was over capacity. I, my, I was, it was all bubbling over, but every it wasn't every weekend. It probably should have been, but every two weekends, we'll say sometimes I went way longer than that, but I would go to TJ Maxx and get myself some jelly beans and I would just walk around yep. <laughs> and eat a bag of jelly beans by myself. And it Max. was, Ugh. yeah, it was just whatever, but I got away from the house. Yeah. I got to just sit with quiet in my brain and that's what it was about for me. And after that, I was good. I like the sugary sour worms at TJ Maxx. That's what I buy there. But same same <laughs> idea. <laughs> right. Um, you know, some people like to connect to experiences. I've laid out um, a couple books. So, um, and these are just ones that I personally like. Um, so this is my favorite parenting book ever. All Joy and No Fun. The Paradox of Modern Parenthood. Because it makes you feel good when you don't have it all together. <laughs> okay. Um, and okay. it's real, the, uh, the author who wrote this, she's a reporter. So she comes from a reporting background. So she interviewed lots of different families, how they do things, oh, how they, how they make it work. Um, and that is just, oh, you can get it. You can listen to it too. Like you can probably check it out on mm -hmm. 
the library app. Um, I think one of the other things we have to realize too, when we take care of ourselves is if we have a partner, a spouse partner, um, how much load is one person carrying? Because I know for me, I stayed home for a long time um, after Linus was born to, to care for his needs. And then we had another baby. So I was like, well, I, I don't know that I could afford all these kids in childcare based on my salary. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. So I stayed home. And so I took on many more domestic duties. Um, and then, but there's no tapping out. Yeah. And, and you don't leave that space. So my husband got to tap out. So I remember him talking about his kind of mental break. I was like, that's your car ride, man. To work, from work. Do you sit in silence? There's your mental break. But it's, you know, it's exhausting because there's no off button. And it's from before you wake up through the night. If your kid has sleep apnea too, or you have yeah. to clear tubes or, you know, do any kind of checks during the night, it's through the night. So there's never an off time. So I think it's, it's nice to sometimes, um, make sure that everything's balanced because lots of times we just get in habits and we, we don't look at, has this gotten off balance? Like, does one partner need a break? And even if it's temporary, like I've got this really big project going on, I need you to take on more of the load. So fair play is a great one. This is like a very specific system, but I think just the idea of it is what invisible labor are we doing that the other partner doesn't realize we're doing? Mm-hmm. And vice versa too. So it's just a good, I think, just a like, okay, we need to recognize that we both do things that the other one may not realize, you know, that, right. that I do or you do. And so maybe we need to sit down and inventory that and have a real honest conversation about this is my max. This is what I can handle. And I'm bubbling over my max mm-hmm. and, and I need you to help me for a little bit, or we need to come to a different solution about how we could get help. Yeah. And that changes too, right? Like, oh, you yes. know, it, it, a lot of times it's the child with the disability. Maybe they want to, um, maybe they are like, are just really connected to one of the parents right then, or maybe right. somebody is, has a really busy season at work. And so kind of naturally organically, like that hierarchy of needs is met by another parent. And so they kind of like shift to that parent. And if that's who they want, then that's who is playing with them. And um, so then, but then what's that mean about the other, like, then should you switch laundry to the other side of the ledger or whatever? Um, right. Yeah, those are good. We will link those in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. And I mean, they're not, you know, end all be all. It's not that I'm endorsing a certain type of thing, but I think it's just a good, like, huh, I never thought about that. This is invisible stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, that, um, that is a lot, takes a lot of my time, like even just planning the appointments, the mental load to keep track of all of your child's medical and therapy appointments, that is a, a job in itself. And if one spouse is doing that, which sometimes that works, you know, based on your different family, but then we need to balance that a little right. bit. Because lots right. of times when I see um, partners having difficulty, it's because that balance is way off one way or the other. And, and they're just like, well, this is how it's always been. So I never thought about it, and, yeah. you know, which is true. So we need to think about it. We need to be proactive and think about it. And there might be some other component to it. I remember when we figured out that um, me scheduling and going to the appointments was in fact, the right thing to do. Yeah. The most burdensome thing was me having to communicate it to so many people 
because I had to communicate all of the updates, especially when we were like bursting developmentally, you know, when he was young to my, to my husband, to like the other therapists, to my parents who loved us and just wanted to know, um, and to any caregivers that were coming into our house. And I mean, I would, I like wrote it down and put it on the fridge and everything, but then I had to remind people, oh, I updated, I called them Jacksercises. I updated the Jacksercises and the Jacktivities on the, on the refrigerator. And that felt like a part-time job. And it was the communication that was driving me crazy. So what we did was we took some communication out of some other ledger and put that on Brandon's end, because I was like, I can't, like, I'm spending hours per week trying to do all of this, like medication refills. Holy cow. If you take more than three medications and they refill on different days of the month, you are, I mean, that's 10 hours a month. Right. I really like Glennon Doyle did a podcast. Um, and none of these are disability specific things. I mean, I could have brought those, but sometimes you get overloaded with disability specific information. Yes. Um, and so uh, I was listening to a podcast that Glennon did and um, I think it was her, we can do hard things, but she, ta- she described it so well. She was talking about a ticker that, you know, she had a ticker and her ticker list was this long. And then she realized her ex-husband's ticker list was this long and, but, but he didn't, you know, like all these things just happened. So he didn't realize how long her ticker list was. And just meaning that play that goes through your head all the time. I'm thinking about how, what's for dinner. I've got to, we've got three appointments after school, then other kiddo has, you know, this um, activity at, at school and who's going to coordinate that. There's laundry that needs to be done. This uniform needs to be clean. You know, this is when I need to stop at the grocery store and it's a ticker and it's ongoing. And that, that sits in, um, you know, in our heads. And if it's, if that balance is off, then it can cause big relationship problems. So her solution was that they listed their ticker. You know, they they listed everything. And that's kind of what is proposed in this fair play book. Right. So they took off just what you're describing with Brandon. They took off things off of her ticker, you know, and said, okay, her wife now, Abby, you take this because you are a good cook. So you're going to take the cooking. Yeah. You know, um, I can't remember her ex-husband's name right off the top of my head, but Craig, she's yeah, Craig, thank you. Craig, you're <laughs> a doctor. Yeah. Yes. So Craig, you're a doctor. So you are going to take all the medical tickers and yeah. that is what you're going to do. And, and then, and then also her saying to herself, I'm not going to go back and double check on these things and keep them rolling in my head. I'm going to agree to remove them. So if, if the kids aren't vaccinated, you know, and can't get into sixth grade, that's on Craig and I'm okay right. with it. Right. So and you, giving up the control that goes back to the control though. And that is so, so important. Oh my gosh, Kelly, this is so helpful. I really do hope that it helps people kind of understand that these are, um, this is just a list of things that we all experience and that you find community, that you find that um, that connection to other people. And maybe we gave you some ideas about ways to um, start leaning into some support. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me.